So I'm pretty excited about this series we're going to be going through in Philippians in the next uh, four Sundays, uh, these four Sundays of August. We're going to be looking at the book of Philippians, a chapter at a time, and uh, a series again we start today. And uh, we'll hopefully discover a joyful community living together in times of testing. And I trust that that can be something that we can identify with as well, too. In these next four weeks, we will look at each one of the chapters in Paul's letter. And this letter shows us a community learning how to live together with one another and in God's presence during difficult times. And throughout history, Paul's letter to the Philippians has brought comfort and direction to God's people all over the world. And this is a great place to start, recognizing that God's people will always face times of trials and testing. Everyone goes through it. You might be going through one right now. And it doesn't matter what kind or how big or how small, we all go through trials and testings in that time. And whether it was the early church, which faced times of trial and testing during the Roman Empire, or, or whether it is the church today in places like China or uh, uh, Central Africa or Middle East, wherever Christians are persecuted, God's people will always be uh, con confronted with difficulties. And now you, might, you may think those places are centuries or continents away and, and, and think, what does this have to do with me? Uh, read about it and, and all. But times of trial and testing don't only happen on the, the large scale, the large level. Again, they also happen on the individual and personal level, people like you and me. And we should take note of this. Near end, the end of, of, of his ministry, the, the Apostle Paul said this in his second letter to Timothy. He said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. <laughs> so if you, uh, you desire to live a godly life, be ready, be ready. And Paul learned this lesson during his time in Philippi and years later when the Philippians came to his aid while he was in prison. This is what the book of Philippians helps us understand. Now, the book of Acts, if you go there in chapter 16, it records the roots of this church in Philippi. And as you follow along in, in this sermon series, you can read about how God used Paul to start a brand new work in this city that had never heard the gospel. And the Roman city of Philippi is a long way from Jerusalem where Jesus walked, or Antioch, the city where Paul attended church. So in the first decades of this new Philippian church, they experienced both success and difficulties. Have you ever thought about that possibility? Success with difficulties at the same time? We can experience difficulties even during times of success. Some Christians might be tempted to think that the presence of difficulties means they are somehow living outside of the will of God. Now, that's not necessarily true. Sometimes Christians can be right where God puts them and doing exactly what God has asked them to do and still face persecution, opposition, misunderstanding. This is, this is true at a, a larger scale and also at a personal level as well. And Acts chapter 16 tells the story of how Paul and Silas, remember those two guys, found themselves in prison even as they shared the good news in the city of Philippi. And you remember what, what the response was after being thrown in jail? They sang. They sang. Even though they were in chains, they worshiped the Lord in the middle of their trouble and pain. And through miraculous circumstances, Paul and Silas were delivered from their imprisonment and even ended up baptizing the warden of the prison. 
We should keep this story from, from Acts in mind as we look at the letter to the Philippians because it reminds us that we will go through trials. And this phrase is important. We will go through trials. Trials are made to be gone through. We will not remain in them. Trials aren't made to last because our God is bigger than any trouble man can dream up. <laughs> and maybe you're facing some sort of personal trial today. It could be at work or in a relationship. Maybe you have something to do with your finances. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a, a person who has, maybe you're a person who has suffered violence for the sake of the gospel. Part of the good news is that even as we experience trials, we can have the confidence that we will pass through the trouble. God will not abandon us and leave us stuck in our difficulties. In fact, one type of Christian maturity is our ability to rejoice even when things are not going our way. We can rejoice merely in the fact that we are in the center of God's will. And even if the trouble is of our own making <laughs> because we've acted foolishly, it's still true, trials were made to go through, not to remain in. Even if my trial is the result of uh, my own sinfulness, I can rest assured that God still loves me. <clears throat> Nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. God doesn't abandon people in trouble. So the church in Philippi, which was born out of persecution, takes root in this Roman town hundreds of miles away from where Jesus lived and ministered. This tells us that the good news of the gospel can grow in any soil at all, no matter how far away from the epicenter of Christianity it is. The gospel is not a Jewish thing or a Roman thing. It's a God thing offered to people all over the world. Now, when we get to Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, Ten years have passed since the account in Acts chapter 16. Some things have definitely changed. The church in Philippi is prospering and, and healthy. They're not only a thriving community in their home city, they are a community that looks after the welfare of others, people far away who may be in some kind of need. And Paul is one of those other people. Because this much has not changed. Paul finds himself imprisoned again, this time in Rome. He usually finds himself in trouble that way, quite a bit. And the Philippian church has sent a gift of money and a member of their church to help him. And because prisoners had to provide their own means, even though they were in prison. And there, from his chains, Paul writes a letter to acknowledge their gift, to be able to send back the brother they had sent to minister his, to his needs. And, uh, and to teach them about the connection between Christian joy and suffering. So Paul is writing this letter from inside prison. He is encouraging those outside of prison. This letter is a, a model for how to live during tough times. You may be going through difficult times, but you still can encourage someone around you. You can still somehow be able to be that light to people around you. But over the next four weeks... We're going to see a number of things. We're going to see how to live as if God is in control. And then in, in the second week, we're going to see how to live as servants. And in the third week, we're going to see how to live a life of loss. And then we're going to see how to live a life of generous friendship. So in this whole series in August, I trust that it will speak to your heart 
about how to live in joy, even in the midst of difficulties and circumstances like that. So let's, let's look today at the first chapter of Philippians and learn to live as if God is in control. <laughs> because you know what? He is. <laughs> he is in control. He should be anyway. But someone who lives as if God is in control will understand that prayer will never be silenced by persecution. Look with me in chapter uh, Philippians 1, first 11 verses, and you'll have to grab your Bible. I'm not going to put it up on the screen too many, <laughs> too, too much up there. So uh, grab your Bible, Philippians chapter 1, first 11 verses. Follow along as I read. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We'll stop there for this moment. So early on in this chapter, Paul prays for his friends back in Philippi. And this is just amazing. Someone far away who is in difficult circumstances like prison can still pray for others. Don't be fooled. Whatever difficulties or trials you face cannot keep you from thinking of others and praying for others. If your health is bad, something's going on, you're dealing with pain or whatever, every time you feel that pain, maybe it will trigger you to pray for somebody. Maybe it will trigger you to pray for someone who needs salvation. And as you take that, 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 that prayer prompting through your difficulties, you can use that prayer then to benefit God's kingdom and praying for people to come into His kingdom or, or, or to um, have God's abundant grace upon them. All those things. You can use those situations the difficulties you go through, the persecution you might be facing, it doesn't silence your prayers. In fact, your prayers should be even louder. <laughs> but Paul continues his effective ministry even though his body is held captive. He prays for the people in Philippi, and he instructs the church in Philippi in all of this as well. And what does he pray for? You see it there in the, those verses, 9 through 11. He prays that the church of Philippi will be able to discern what is best for them, that they will, be, they will be pure and blameless, that they would be filled with the good fruit that is in keeping with a proper relationship with Jesus Christ. Those three things alone would be great to be praying for someone else in your life. 
that these things would be evident, manifest in their lives. So if you're facing difficulties, maybe that will help you prompt, prompt you to pray for someone in your life that needs these things. Praying scripture over them in that way. So prayer can't be silenced by persecution when you live as if God is in control. And also, it brings us to the second point, God's perspective and priorities as well, in verses 12 through 18. In this chapter, after praying for the well-being of the people in Philippi, Paul sets to the, to the task of teaching in verses 12 through 18 here. And he wants us to learn how to live as if God is in control. We do this by taking God's perspective and by taking on God's priorities. Follow along with me, starting with verse 12. So now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. In the NIV, it stops there as far as the verse goes, but uh, kind of stops in a mid-sentence. We'll pick it up on the next section. But Paul tells the Philippians that although there are people outside of prison who are trying to make life worse for Paul while inside prison, Paul's actually pleased with the way things are. It may seem kind of crazy, but there were people who thought that by continuing to preach the gospel in public and by making money from preaching the gospel that the authorities would make life even more difficult for Paul. That means those people outside were preaching the gospel from false motives. You would think Paul would be upset or at the very least critical of it, but he's not. Paul says that, this, that his situation is turning out for the advancement of the gospel. We might say that Paul is gospel-centric. He rejoices that the good news is being preached, whether from good motives or bad motives. God's word's being heard. That's what matters. And the gospel is more important than his reputation or his personal comfort. It doesn't matter if they're doing this to get back at Paul. He's saying, bring it on, because <laughs> people are hearing the gospel. He understands his imprisonment is for the sake of the gospel and does not ask, why is this happening to me? Instead, he understands that God is in control. Now, it's easy to agree with a simple religious statement like God is in control. We could all say, amen, yep, I, I understand, yep, that's good. But the result of saying God is in control is the fact that I am not in control. Now, I don't know about some of you, if that's a problem. <laughs> you like to have control of the situation. You like to know what's going on. You want to know the end result. You want to know how, how things are going to turn out. If I invest my time or, or resources into this. What's going to happen? I, I want kind of control of, of what might come about here. That's not the deal. 
when God is in control. When God is in control, we are not. We should not <laughs> be. But somehow, some, some way, we have a, a, a tug of war with God with that. Saying God's in control, but then we, oh, I need that back a little bit. And we want to get in control a bit more in situations. And it depends on what that situation might be. And it's different for, for each one of you. Some situations you could care less. You're in control of it. Other situations you want to monitor it carefully. And God is saying, I got this. I'm in control of this, aren't I? <laughs> and the thing is, we need to allow him to be in control. So when he's in control, it means that I'm not in control. It's actually liberating to realize that we are not in control, really. We went to a uh, Timbers game <clears throat> on, what was it, Friday? I can't remember. Yeah, I guess it was a Friday game. And so uh, Brianna, myself, and Maddie, and Ivan, and Ivan's uh, parents went. And uh, I was uh, anticipating going out there, driving in downtown, trying to find a parking place and all that fun stuff and everything else. I thought, okay, well, we'll see how that works. But Ivan said, hey, I'll drive. You guys can ride with us. So Brianna and I rode with uh, Ivan and Maddie in his car. While sitting in the back seat, and Ivan, I just kind of felt like, he's in control of this. I don't have to be. I don't have to find a parking place. I don't have to get us there in time. I'm just riding along. And it felt liberating. I didn't have to worry and concern about, is that a parking, is it going to be big enough for his car? Nah, are we there yet? <laughs> that's all. And that's the same thing with allowing God to be in control. It's liberating. How many times have you stressed about things because you're trying to be in control of something you can't be in control of? Sit back, get in the back seat, sit back and just enjoy the ride and allow God to be in control of these things. But it's so liberating to be able to allow God to take control of things, be able to do that. This is how Paul viewed his circumstances, too. He viewed them in a way where it was just like, I'm allowing you to be in control of this, and you're going to take over, and, and, and things are going to be good. Sometimes we are surrounded, though, by people who operate from bad motives <laughs> or just plain old meanness. I think our natural reaction would be to cry out to God and ask Him to intervene. Take care of these guys, Lord. Change the situation. This is not good. We might pray, stop these people from trying to harm me or trying to profit from religion. They shouldn't be doing that. But no, Paul simply rejoices that God's priorities are being accomplished here. So how about us? How about us? Could we find joy in the middle of our difficulties or trials? if we had the assurance that God's priorities were happening? This is a call to a deeper maturity in Christ. It is a call to the kind of maturity that acknowledges the fact that our comfort and our safety are not the highest good in the earth. God's kingdom is the highest priority. And Paul demonstrates that his priorities align with God's priorities. So when our priorities align with God's priorities... The result is peace, and the, and the result is joy. Whether we are in prison or free, we can experience peace and joy. Whether, whether relationships or work or finances are going well or are go going poorly, we can find peace and joy when we align our priorities with God's priorities. 
You see, Paul was not merely teaching the church in Philippi. He's also teaching us as well, too. So when we live as if God is in control, we take God's perspective and take on God's priorities. Also, too, in the next verses here, 19 through 26, we see that uh, trusting God for the outcome is part of that as well, too, in living as if God is in control. Look with me in verse 19. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. In verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I, am going to, going on, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. We'll we'll stop there. So in these verses, 19 through 26, Paul says something very unusual here and a little mysterious. He says that what has happened will turn out for his deliverance. In other words, Paul's faith that God is in control is expressed in terms of outcomes, not events the outcomes. The events do not look promising for Paul at all, but Paul looks beyond the events toward the outcome, and he concludes that the outcome will be glorious. Whether in his day or in ours, here are the verifiable facts. There is sorrow. There is sickness. There is suffering. It's everywhere in the world. But God shows His glory by bringing outcomes that are greater than any sorrow, greater than any sickness or any suffering. For example, Tertullian, uh, one of the early fathers of the church, who also lived during a time of persecution, he said this, he said, The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. So like Paul, Tertullian was uh, able to look beyond the the immediate events. He was filled with confidence that that God would use even difficult events like the death of Christians to do something wonderful. This is part of the glory of God. In the middle of people's weakness and wickedness, God is in the world working His wisdom for our good and for the good of generations to come. I I trust we believe this. But for those down the line as well, too, as we spoke of before in the previous series, third and fourth generations down the line, how are we going to seed those clouds? In this first chapter of Philippians, Paul was not even concerned about his own personal outcome. He says, I can die and be with Jesus, or I can live, which will mean even more fruitful ministry later in my life. He's kind of like the cup is half full 
twice. <laughs> so he looks at that and sees how God can use this. Paul does not see his life as something to be preserved, but rather something to be spent in the service of God's kingdom. This is part of the teaching in this chapter here. But how do we look at our lives? How do we look at our lives in situations like this? Do we want to preserve our life? And, hold and, and you know, that's a natural tendency, of course. But are we willing to put ourselves out on the line and sacrifice maybe some comforts, some things in our life that we'd rather hold on to? I mean, why should we be afraid of death, really? It would only mean that we would be with Jesus. The sooner the better. <laughs> or if we live our lives uh, 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 in a way uh, as an opportunity to co-labor with God and bring blessings to others, then that's a blessing as well, too. It's, it's a win-win situation. <laughs> when you live as if God is in control, you trust God for the outcome. And then also, finally, in these last few verses of this chapter, we also receive suffering. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun but we receive suffering. In verses 27 through 30, the Bible teaches us we can learn how to live as if God is in control by receiving suffering as something that is sometimes granted by God to the community of faith. And, and, and please understand, I trust you hear me carefully, no one should go looking for suffering. Okay, uh, I, I, you might need help if you're doing that. But no one should bring harm to themselves or act foolishly or irresponsibly Instead, we order our lives in the way God teaches us to do. But if suffering comes as a result of your way of life, and if, if our way of life is pleasing to God, we should learn how to submit to the will of God even in suffering. Look with me in verses 27 through 30, the Philippians. Whatever happens, conduct your, yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you are going through the same struggle you, you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So in these last verses here in this chapter, Paul teaches us that we go through trials together. It's an expression not only of our individual confidence, but our confidence as one people. Now, nearly any pastor can tell you that churches grow stronger spiritually and bond during times of trouble. As a community dynamic, the church comes together when things are tough. And Paul actually says that the Philippians' unified, bold response to difficulties is a sign of the kingdom of God. Paul says something in verse 29 that we don't hear quoted very often. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. Did you realize that? Did anybody talk to you? as they prayed with you to receive Christ as your Savior and said, now, get ready. You're going to be suffering now. <laughs> if you knew that deal, you probably would have gone, mm, hold on. <laughs> What's the suffering about? What do you mean? 
And the you in this verse is plural. It's not singular. And Paul is saying, you have, been, you, you have seen me suffer while I was, here, while I was there and, and, with you in Philippi. Now I'm going through it again, and so are you. The Philippians used Paul's imprisonment as a chance for the community to express their love and support for Paul. And this makes perfect sense. We see it time and again as the church responds to natural disasters, school shootings, terrorist attacks, or even economic hardships. The church draws together during tough times. Just think back three years ago when we were shut down, we had to go through the COVID shutdown and everything else. You guys still reached out to one another, maybe even more so. Maybe you called people or texted them, just stay in touch with them that you haven't done before previously. The church came together. And then when we got out of the shutdowns into COVID restrictions, you came out and you encouraged one another in person. And we had to limit the numbers, of course. But once that was lifted, then you just continue to come. And during that time, you got to realize, too, our church was going through a turnaround. We were trying to turn, turn our, our difficulties around of, uh, of, of the situations that we were in, and then COVID hit. And so then we come out of COVID and we're moving along and we're realizing, okay, we're, we need to pick up where we left off, but it's not going to be in the same spot. We've gone back a little further and we're, we're, we need to build up even more and become more, a healthy church even more. And when that occurred, you guys stepped up and you came together and you're still coming together to help out in areas of the church. During those times, of course, we... We had a lot of difficulties going on, and we had loss of people, too, to heaven. Mark being one of them. Tim Thiessen being one of them. And others you can think of as well, too, but that were integral in helping in the church moving forward. And in loss of those people that heaven gained, people stepped up in times of difficulty. Losing key families, moving on to other churches, people stepped up fill spots, and you still do that. Churches come together, and I'm thankful and grateful for a church body like this. It's willing to do whatever they can to move forward. But maybe we should ask ourselves, why wait until tough times to draw us together? Why wait for difficulties to bring us together? Why wait until tragedy, tragedy strikes again to show our love and care for those around us? Why wait until things are worse in order to show the love of God? We can be a church that lives in the community and demonstrates community right now, even in the midst of what we're going through, even in the moments of peace and prosperity as well. Why wait? When we live as if God is in control, we can understand that prayer will never be silenced by persecution. We take God's perspective and take on God's priorities. We trust God for the outcome, and we receive suffering. And the great lesson of Philippians chapter 1 is that individually and as a community, we can demonstrate that God is in control by living as if God is in control.
because he should be in control. Our actions become the message, and our lives, individually and together, become the good news. We can demonstrate to the watching world that we confidently believe God is in control. Now, is that a difficult thing for you to deal with, control, giving it over? What a great opportunity you have right now to ask God to help you live as if He is in control. You're only a prayer away. Be able to have some time with God and say, you know, I've been white-knuckling a lot of things. I need to let go. I need to allow you to take control of those things. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's loved ones. Maybe it's, maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your employment. Maybe it's your health. Whatever those things you feel like you need to be in control of, you might need to let, let go of that. And sometimes it's, it's so great how God deals with each one of us so differently. It might be just a, a, a stern feeling from God, like, okay, I need to let go of this. Some of us need our knuckles wrapped hard on and let go of that. He deals with each one of us so differently, but He deals with us as a way we need to be dealt with. So we respond. He is such a good God. But if, if control is an issue for you, maybe today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about letting go of some of those things, allowing God to take control of it, whatever it might be. I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to come on up. But as I pray, I trust that uh, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart about some good things here that uh, you need to do business with, with Him about. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for, for your message today. Thank you, Lord, for this book of Philippians that we're going to be um, camping out in here in this month of August. And I pray, Lord, that uh, as we do so, that we wouldn't wait just each Sunday to hear the message, but, Lord, that we would dive deep into this book, Philippians, and, you know, and all that it has in there to be able to live by and be guided with. And I pray, Lord that you would use this book to encourage each one of us, to challenge each one of us, especially today, to live as if you are in control. To do that because you need to be in control in our lives. Lord, if there's someone here today that is having issues about that, maybe there's something, Holy Spirit, that you've just prompted us about. You've tapped our shoulder and said, yeah, you know what? It's this one thing that you won't let go of. <clears throat> I pray, Lord, that you would deal with us in a way that we would respond. And I pray that we, we, we would respond in obedience and say, yes, Lord, you're right. I need to let go of that. I need to lay that at the altar, at your feet, allow you to take care of it. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that this time right now, as we sing these songs, we'll be able to draw us closer to you, and be reminded that uh, you are a God that can be trusted <laughs> with whatever concerns we might have. You're a God that can be trusted. We love you, Lord. And just pray that you just continue to minister to our hearts as we continue with this time together in singing. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>